Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, A Vision for Christmas, today. So turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 17 to chapter 8, verse 8, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Isaiah's Condemnation of a Sinful Nation. I know it. Title's offensive. Condemnation of a Sinful Nation. Well, thankfully, at least that's how many think, thankfully in our day, we're preaching a religion that's free of condemnation. That sounds fine, doesn't it? Let's preach a kinder, gentler God. But if we do, two things stand out. And the first and the most obvious consequence of preaching a message that contains no condemnation is that such a message ultimately does away with the cross of Jesus. For Jesus says the message of the cross, Jesus was condemned in our place. But if we aren't condemned, well, then truly the cross has lost its meaning. So when we sweep away the religion that includes condemnation, we sweep away the cross as the center of our faith. All that remains now is to go to the front of our church buildings and remove that symbol of condemnation. The second thing that stands out is outrage. And what I mean here is that when outrage for sin disappears out the back door, unbridled evil comes in through the front door. If all we can say is, I'm okay and you're okay, it's it's wrong to make any judgment on human behavior and human choices, then we remarkably lose the ability to understand something that is basic to our humanity. And I'm speaking about understanding righteousness, about the solid weight of evidence that some things are good and some things are evil. And should we sell ourselves out to unrighteousness, we deserve the condemnation of the altogether righteous creator God. See, how does all this relate to Christmas? Well, much in every way. Jesus Christ came as a light to a world that had sold itself into moral darkness. And furthermore, the world was now lost in darkness. And if we do not describe the world as lost in sin and evil, then we have no need for Jesus or for Christmas. Okay, we've been studying the prophet Isaiah's Christmas message. And up till now, we have seen that a sinful nation with a sinful king refused to entrust itself to God. Having rejected God, they wanted no sign from God. But Isaiah promised that at some time in the future, God himself would give the human race a sign of his willingness to rescue and to save a lost humanity. Behold, a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. And now, as we've seen, the historical situation of our passage is that King Ahaz, that wicked man, is being threatened by an alliance of the kings that were directly to the north of his nation. But of course, the far greater threat was the rise of a very cruel empire the Assyrian Empire from the region of contemporary Iraq that was destroying one nation after another. And so Ahaz, the king, made an agreement. He would send tribute to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. That's essentially paying someone not to utterly crush you. It's like a store owner paying protection money to the mob. You know, the mob now will make sure that you aren't robbed, and the mob will also make sure that they don't shoot you and burn your store down. That's called protection. Or is that called a threat? Well, it's both. But Ahaz thought, if I won't trust God to save me, I'm sure this is going to work. Tiglath-Pileser will crush my two northern neighbors, and I'm going to have to keep paying him tribute. In that way, I'm going to be saved. Now, curiously, 
This scheme worked, at least to some extent. 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 7 to 9, which is the historical background to our prophecy today, says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker and killed Rezin. Oh, you might remember that Rezin was the king of Syria. So Ahaz can say, you know, my plan worked. I don't need God. I've got the whole thing figured out. And yeah, of course, in the future, this paying of tribute was going to drain the national treasury. But who knew what the future would hold? Take care of the short-term problem and then deal with the long-term problem later on. Judah and the monarchy of Ahaz now were safe. But of course, as we saw yesterday, Isaiah had already predicted the destruction of the two kings that Ahaz had feared the most. But to Ahaz's dismay, Isaiah the prophet had more to say to him. So I'm reading now from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 17. Isaiah says, The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Now, the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, well, those were the days when the one nation, that is, the nation of Israel, came to an end. Ephraim took the ten tribes in the north of the country, and they then became an independent nation, and Judah, with the kingdom of David, was then reduced to a fraction of its former size. Those were dark days indeed. But now, says Isaiah, because you've rejected God in this hour, equally dark days are coming to you. The king of Assyria is coming for you. So let's keep reading Isaiah 7, verses 18 and 19. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. So what Isaiah is saying is that there is a day coming when Judea is going to become a battleground in which Assyria, the empire, and the nation of Egypt are going to battle with each other for supremacy in the Middle East. And furthermore, the use of the terms flies and bees means they're going to settle in and you're not going to get rid of them. They're going to be everywhere. Ouch. Ahaz hadn't counted on that. Sounds serious. Ah, but Isaiah's not done. Isaiah 7.20 says, In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. See, Isaiah is telling King Ahaz, have you understood what you've done? You haven't paid tribute to a protector. You've actually hired a razor, and that razor is about to shave you until you won't have a hair left on your body. Well then, what does that mean? Well, it means that all the farmland which drove the economy of Judah was going to be stripped bare. Oh, wait, what did you say? The land was going to be stripped bare? Well, how? Well, Isaiah explains, and I'm reading now verses 21 and 22. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. Now, I know it's a bit hard to understand, but here's a little background, and it's going to become clear. 
In the records that we have of Tiglath-Pileser, we know that he mentions having carried off many thousands of cattle from all the conquered nations. And Isaiah is saying the king of Assyria is going to rape your land. And the only thing that's going to be left will be the produce from one cow and two sheep. See, Isaiah is telling the king of Jerusalem, your economy is going to be reduced to barely being able to feed your population. All the surplus is going to be gone. Now to verses 23 and 25. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. You know, all those places that once contained vineyards for producing wine and olive trees and all the other agricultural products, those things were going to be wiped out. I mean, remember the image of the razor. Such thick briars are going to grow there that human beings can't go there. Some cattle can, and that's it. That's the razor you hired. Let's put it in other terms. The prophet Isaiah had gone to King Ahaz in the time of national emergency, and he told him to call on the Lord. The Lord is going to rescue you. King Ahaz flatly turned him down. He didn't need the Lord. He had his own plan. He had made a deal with the king of Assyria. In turn, Isaiah says, ah, so I see you've made a deal with the devil. Well, now that's done, and now the devil is coming, and you're about to pay the price, a price you hadn't counted on. You're going to get shaved. Ouch. But isn't that the story of the human race? The God who made us offered us a garden of delight. We told him we didn't need him. We could become gods in our own right. And when we needed to, we could manufacture our own gods. And in the end of the day, what did we get? Well, we made a deal with the devil. And now here we are. Wars, murders, theft, oppression, sexual abuse, suspicion of our neighbor, the loss of meaning, and ultimately, death. We've made a deal with the devil, and now the time has come to pick up the tab. And the cost of rebelling against our Creator is more than we can bear. John 1.12 reads, But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Well, this verse expresses the heart and mission of Back to the Bible Canada. We teach the Bible, but for a purpose, that those who hear might receive and believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the intention of every program, every word. Whether on radio, podcast, mobile application, Truth and Life magazine, Truth and Life Today, or our young adult ministry in doubt or the many who tune in to listen to Laugh Again. Every program and resource serves to deliver God's Word so that those who hear would be saved. Thank you for embracing and supporting this mission. Your gifts make all that is done through Back to the Bible Canada possible. And please consider supporting the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as we strive to reach our December year-end goal of $465,000. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. What can we now say? Now that the human race has made a deal with the devil, what will happen? I know. There are those who continually lie to us. They tell us, we've created a paradise. But in truth, we're not in a paradise at all, are we? 
death now stalks the human race. We're being shaved, shaved of all the blessings of God. When Isaiah chapter 8 begins, it seems that it begins with just a glimmer of hope. God is still concerned with the nation of Judah, and he will still preserve it for the sake of the promise that he has made to the household of David. And so at the beginning of the chapter, we read a note of assurance. I'm reading here Isaiah 8, verses 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Macher Shalel Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Macher Shalel Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. You know, Isaiah has now left the king's presence, but he has work to do. God tells him to go get a large writing tablet and write on it in easy-to-read letters, meaning, of course, write in such a way that anyone who can read is going to understand. Well, no doubt, Isaiah is supposed to hang up this tablet in a common and public place. You know, in a day before newspapers, many towns and cities had what we might now call bulletin boards. It was where all the common news of the city was attached so that people could get up to date with what was going on. And that's what Isaiah was supposed to do, to write something out for public consumption to be widely read throughout Jerusalem. Well, now, what was it supposed to say? Well, it was supposed to contain a headline, belonging to Macher Shalel Hashbaz, or concerning Macher Shalel Hashbaz. And then the rest of the document was supposed to be left blank. Now, for us, that sounds meaningless, but here's what it meant. The name means plunder speeds, spoil hastens, or in our language, a very large disaster is right now hurtling down towards us. Well, that's going to get a lot of attention, but people are going to ask, who wrote that? Did Isaiah the prophet really write that? How do we know it was him? Or how do we know it was someone who's just crazy? Well, for an answer, you'll have to look and you'll see that it's certified by the high priest and another very reliable witness. And then after that's done, Isaiah is told that he and his wife are to conceive a child. And after that child is born, they're supposed to name him Maharshal al-Hashbaz. I know what some of you are thinking. That kid's going to have to be at least five years old before he can even pronounce his first name. Well, that might be true, but the meaning is ominous. The kid's name is, Great Disaster is Hurtling Down Towards Us. And then comes that note of hope. Before the boy is old enough to talk, both Israel and Syria, the enemy of the Judahites, are going to be attacked by the empire of Assyria and the Assyrian Empire will carry those nations away. Well, if that were to occur, then you have to believe that the ability of those two nations who are now trying to desperately raise up an army and to get more nations into their alliance, and then to raise up an army to attack Judah, forcing an alliance with them, well now, Isaiah says, all of those plans are going to fail. The great threat that you now see, the threat from the nations to the north, they're going to be gone. It's a wonderful moment of deliverance. Or would it be? Let's continue to read Isaiah 8, verses 5 to 7a. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. 
Now, the waters of Shiloh, that refers to a small water channel that carried water into Jerusalem from one of the pools of water that was just outside the city. And here God is referring to himself as that water channel. That is, he fully provides for the needs of his people, but he is very gentle. The water doesn't come in like a tsunami. It doesn't sweep everything away. God's blessings give us life, but they don't destroy us. But, says God, you've rejected what I have to offer you. I had offered to save Judah from both of their neighbors to the north that were threatening them. I also offered to save you from the mighty Assyrian Empire that was destroying one nation after another. That was my offer to you, and it was a gentle offer. It took care of all of your needs. But you've rejected the gentle waters of Shiloh. Instead, you decided to make a deal with Assyria. You'd pay them tribute, and it seemed to have worked. They're coming to destroy your threatening neighbors, and they will take all their wealth and power away, and you'll be saved, and you'll think that you've succeeded, and now you're all patting yourselves on the back. But think about what you've done. You needed to drink water, but you've rejected and abandoned a secure spring of drinking water, the waters of Shiloh. And instead, you've diverted the full force of the Euphrates River, and you've directed it straight at your city. But notice what Isaiah also says. He says that it's the Lord who's bringing the Assyrians to the door. Now, that language gives us an impression that what happened between Judah and Assyria, well, it's so much more than the consequences of bad and immoral decisions. After all, it is possible that the Judahites might have thought, well, through diplomats and through political alliances, we can make this relationship with the Assyrian superpower work. I mean, all we have to do is to constantly massage this relationship, make good and sure that we don't anger the Assyrians. I mean, do that. And even though it's not ideal, the relationship should work careful planning, wise responses to Assyrian demands, showing that we're a reliable ally. I mean, all of that should have worked. But here's the reason why it wouldn't. The royal house of Ahaz didn't understand the vision of Isaiah. God sits on his heavenly throne and he rules all things. See, in order to understand that fully, Let's fast forward many years later to a time when King Ahaz was already dead and his son Hezekiah was ruling in Jerusalem. And at that time, the Assyrian Empire had surrounded the city of Jerusalem and they were looking to break down the walls and completely destroy the civilization of the Jews. Now listen to what Isaiah prophesied during that time. He's speaking for God and he's speaking to the Assyrian army. I'm reading Isaiah 37 verse 29. He says, because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. I hope you heard that. The eternal king has a hook and a bit, and he easily directs the course of all nations. See, that tells us that in the time of Ahaz, the reason his neat little treaty with Assyria wouldn't work out well was because Ahaz hadn't figured on the sovereignty of God. Nothing happens unless God wills it to happen. That's what King Ahaz had never counted on. And with that, we come to Isaiah 8, 7 to 8. Remember, the prophet is still speaking for God. He says, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria with all his glory, 
and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Notice Isaiah is not saying the Assyrians are going to sweep Judah away. See, Judah didn't drown in the Euphrates. Instead, we know from history that the Assyrians never did destroy Judah. God prevented that from happening. But God did ordain that because of their sins, Judah would be up to their neck in the plague of the Assyrians. As we've seen, the Assyrians would bankrupt the nation of Judah, demanding ever more tribute, and they were going to shave the farmland clean. What Ahaz will always be remembered for is that he left his nation in desperate times. Life became absolutely brutal because of him. And why? Because one man refused to submit to God. Instead, he trusted in an idol. I hope you can see that this is so much more than just the story of what happened to one king and his people in one time in history. The very last two words in our text call the land O Emmanuel. It's God's land. It belongs to him. And the same is true today about everything. Some people say it's my life. Some people say it's my body. I can do with it as I see fit. Others say it's my money. I can dispense of it without God telling me what to do. Well, says Isaiah, you're wrong. To think this way is evil and it deserves condemnation. Indeed, if you carry on that way, you've made a deal with the devil. And the devil is coming. Condemnation will come. You need to seek the Lord for his salvation. John, in your message, it it reminded me of something. I I know for many pulpits now, it's very difficult for people to actually talk about sin. But when we turn our back on sin, we turn our back on Christ. How do we deal with that? Yes, we do. Absolutely. I mean, you know, someone might argue, I mean, why are you talking about, you know, sin and, you know, the condemnation of, of sin? It's Christmas. I mean, after all, this is supposed to be a wonderful message. But here's the truth of the matter. If it's not the sin problem, then Christ wouldn't have come. I mean, the reality is the world lay in darkness, and Christ came to bring his light in our darkness. We turned from God. We became altogether sinful, and God, in loving kindness, sent his Son. I mean, without that message, Christmas makes no sense, and of course, neither does Easter. We need to keep the message in place. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, A Vision for Christmas, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. This Christmas, join with us for a renewed vision for the season a renewed passion to stand shoulder to shoulder in advancing the clear message of the gospel story. For us, a child is born. While December is the time of year that sets the tone for the new year of ministry ahead, your gifts ensure the gospel message is heard across the nation. So whether you're a long-standing partner in ministry or you've recently been impacted by any of the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada, Could we ask you to stand with us this month in our effort to raise $465,000 by December 31st? Your gift among other committed ministry partners across Canada will sustain and grow this Bible teaching ministry into 2020. Please consider sending your gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada today. 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.